Good to. Uh, hey, if you have joined us online, I'm the lead pastor uh, of The Grove. My name is Lance Williams. We have had several people come in and preach, all of which were great, and, um, and it's going to be uh, a tough task to uh, preach as well as them here this morning. And yet, at the same time, I know that uh, God's going to show up. God is going to do His thing. My uh, prayer and my pleading has really been uh, this, because here's one of the main things that I realized uh, in my time of rest over July is this. I have no power, zero. Um, and if you are an Enneagram uh, fan, like I'm an eight, which is the challenger, powerful person. I like, I like that kind of stuff. But I have zero power to change anyone's heart, my heart, your heart, and anyone else. And so my pleading, my prayer has been that the Lord will do what he does best, and that is resurrect hearts from the dead, bring them to life to continue to trust, uh, or maybe start to trust in him for the first time. So as we get going in this series, a new series which begins today on eternity, uh, man, I am excited to bring to you God's word. And yet at the same time, I know that when we start thinking about eternity, we have a lot of different emotions and a lot of different opinions about what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And so as we start this new series... On eternity. Um, I have a long introduction, which is why we didn't do scripture reading here at the top. We're going to do a scripture reading in a minute, but I want to introduce this topic with a long introduction, and this is probably going to be our longest part of the day, actually. Uh, but we won't do this every week, but we are going to do this in the first week, just to introduce us, to get our minds thinking what's right and what's wrong about this topic of forever. We got to get this one right because we know that it is forever. So the first thing is this, right? I don't know about you, but it's been a common question, either to me or in me or, or from me. Are we in the end times? Have you heard this question? Have you asked this question? Um, the answer, the short answer is yes, of course, we are in the end times. Uh, but we have been in the end times since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And so this is nothing new. We have been, there's nothing that needs to take place uh, historically in current events in order for Jesus to come back. Um, and so when we start thinking about suffering and tribulation and trials, we naturally go to, man, this feels like the end. There's earthquakes and hurricanes and wars and things like, and famines. Uh, I mean, these are the things that the Bible, Jesus himself talks about. We have been in the end times though for 2,000 years. But we're not the first to ask, is this it? Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom, Lord? In fact, um, as soon as Jesus resurrects from the dead, right before he flies up to heaven, the disciples ask Jesus that. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them something that should bring us today great comfort. He says this, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Look, the Father has the authority uh, and he has fixed a time when this will happen. Though we don't know exactly when or how, he knows exactly. He has fixed it. It's not up to negotiation. It's fixed and he knows exactly when it's gonna happen by his own authority. Not by mine, not by Satan's, not by anybody else's, but his own. We are not the first to look at current events but I do want to put our time of corona time, our COVID time, into perspective. Uh, if you don't know this, in A.D. 70, the Emperor Titus um, brought into the world a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that we didn't read and we won't read today. But it is in Matthew 24 where Jesus says, man, there will not be one stone turned uh, unturned here of the temple. It's going to be destroyed. 
in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem when the emperor Titus came in and ransacked Jerusalem, uh, and it was rough. I mean, if you read the historical reports on that time for Jerusalem, I can guarantee you they thought that was the end. I can guarantee you that was the time when they thought, man, this is going to be when all things come to fruition. We are not the first. Uh, They were some of the first. Um, If you fast forward a lot of centuries into 14th century Europe, when the Black Plague uh, took out 60% of Europe, um, like I know that corona is bad and I'm not downplaying it, but it it doesn't even pale in comparison to what the Black Death did for population. Surely they thought this must be the end. Shortly thereafter, the reformers of of the church are on record as thinking, because they were doing such heinous things uh, with people that, um, well, the the, the reformers, really, the the church was doing such heinous things to those that, that, that were pulling away from the Catholic church. They are on record, the reformers, as thinking that the pope is the Antichrist. They, they thought, they were in the end times. World War I, World War II, the wars to end all wars brings into our mind Jesus' words that there will be wars and rumors of wars. We are not the first generation to look at current events, to read our newspapers or go online as we do now and think this must be the end. We're not alone in that. So that's number one. Number two, whatever we believe about the end times, we need to base on God's word and not opinion, not human opinion. And so when when we think about the end times and eternity, what's known as eschatology, which is just the study of the end times. I'm giving you that word now because I'll probably use it. So when we think about eschatology, the study of the end, um, we're talking about um, uh, God's word here, not basing our convictions on a really bad movie or uh, Christian fiction, like Left Behind and 90 Minutes in Heaven and Heaven is for Real are all, all properly uh, designated in Christian fiction in the bookstore. I know it's been a long time since you've been to the bookstore, but they are all Christian fiction, uh, not nonfiction. We need to understand that these are opinion and stories and not necessarily always rooted in God's Word. So here's why this is important. Jesus says this, and again, in Matthew 24, actually right before um, what we're about to read, he says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything that you know is based on heaven and earth, right here and right now. We are in, on earth, and, and, and somehow, like underneath the skies of heaven, everything that you and I both know and base our reality on, Jesus says is going to pass away. So, let us base our convictions, not in our own opinions, but on God's word alone. It is the only thing that is not and will not perish, will not pass away. And so a question as we get going, are you basing your life around God's word or around a way or a word of this world? Because it's going to pass away. For the end times, let's put our life's stake. Let's, put, let's go all in on the word of God. This is going to become challenging, especially as we end our day today and we move into the weeks ahead. We've got to stay rooted in what God says because he doesn't reveal everything, but what he does reveal is important and pertinent and certainly enough for us to have loads and gobs of hope. Third, God's people, listen now, God's people have lost the art and the necessity of tactful 
disagreement. Okay, this is just all part of our introduction, right? Eschatology, the study of the end times, is going to help us recapture uh, the desire and the need to tactfully disagree. Why do I say that? Because when we start thinking about eschatology, when we start thinking about the end times, we're talking about predicting the future. I don't know about you, but I can't make sense of yesterday. That's the past, much less what's going to happen in the future. And so though we may have convictions on this, we need to hold them loosely. There are certain things that are non-essentials, right? And so we hold on to those tightly. But there are many things that are non-essentials. So what are some of the essentials that we're going to hold on to, right? The imminent physical return of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The phys- uh, that, that Jesus is our holy and just judge. Jesus is going to judge us. The scriptures are clear. There is a literal heaven and literal hell. There is the resurrection of the body that is coming. There will be a coming kingdom of God, and then there will be the restoration or the recreation of a new heavens and the new earth. These things are made clear. And so therefore, we can hold tightly to them, we can cling tightly to them, and we really, we need to cling tightly to them because they are so clear. But there are many of those things about like the rapture, right? We're going to hold that a little bit more loosely. The, the when and the how of the tribulation, we're going we're gonna to hold that loosely when we start thinking about the eschatology and the end of all things. We're also going to hold loosely our viewpoint on the coming kingdom of God. And so if you've done any study on this, at some point we'll probably get to these and define these. But like, like we're going to hold loosely post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, amillennialism. If you don't know what those are, we will unpack them in the head, or you can, of course, uh, go in uh, into any systematic theology book and look those up. But look, we need to recover this as Christians, whether we're talking about the end times or what we believe about anything that's going on in current events, in essentials, unity. We must hold to the, the resurrection of the dead. We must hold to the imminent coming of Jesus. These are essentials. These are non-negotiables, right? We've got to have unity in these things. These are the things that hold us together as a body. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, freedom. But in all things, charity and love. So there are essentials, there are non-essentials, and so maybe we need to get some, some clarity, and this is my fourth introductory point, that some things, though, though most things are not worth dividing over, some things are, okay? Some things truly are worth dividing over. And so when we talk about the kingdom, there is an already not yet tension, that, that the kingdom has truly come, just as Jesus said it would, and yet it has not come in its fullness, that there's still more to be revealed by God. There's an already not yet tension. Is the kingdom here? Yes, somewhat. Is it fully here? No. There is something else that's going to be consummated upon the earth, not just inaugurated with Jesus' coming. And so, um, so this idea of essentials and non-essentials, it's kind of like, like, I don't know about you, but I've just really enjoyed um, watching the Astros lose lately. The fact that we get to, to watch the Astros is a beautiful thing. And so I've just in, been able to enjoy watching the Astros a little bit. And I know that the rest of the world calls them cheaters, but they're still beloved in my heart. So nonetheless, but there's like foul lines on a baseball field, right? It tells you that if the hitter hits the ball, it's either fair or foul, and we have to determine, and in, and in fact, our, like, the beautiful thing is, is that our historical faith is rooted in history. 
Um, it's rooted in councils. It's rooted in, in beautiful tradition that they have established for us. And we can read more than any other generation has been able to. We can read what our historical faith, what the people that have come before us have determined as foul or fair. And so for us, as the pastor of this church, I, I, I just want to put before us a foul and fair. Like put before us a foul line so that we can understand this is out of bounds. And so let me just in love for us. The prosperity gospel is out of bounds, period. The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It, it, it brings into fruition. So it takes all of God's blessings, all of the, 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 the beautiful things that we are looking forward to with God, and it appropriates them fully in this age. Does God say that he will bless us? Yes. Does God say that he will heal us? Yes. Does God promise it here and now? No. Is he still healing people? Absolutely. Is everyone guaranteed health? Friends, the next funeral you go to will testify to you that the answer is no. You see, the, the prosperity gospel takes eschatology, the things that God has promised in the end, and it fully appropriates them to, the, to this age. And Jesus is clear. The Bible is clear. There is a this age and there is an age to come when he will wipe away every tear, when he will get rid of all pain and death. But that time is not here and it is not now quite yet. No, this world is still underneath some authority that is in rebellion against Jesus. Friends, the prosperity gospel is out of bounds don't give in to it. Don't start to believe it. Don't give your ear to those who teach it. It will lead you astray. It does pull at our fleshly desires to have things now, to be entitled to things now. Friends, though that may be part of the American dream, it is not the dream which God gives his people. Instead, we are called to wait. Instead, we are called to long for God to make things right upon the earth. And so I just want to put before us, like, there are some things that we need to divide on. Prosperity gospel doesn't belong in the household of God. And we'll talk a little bit about the household of God in a minute. And then finally, again, part of our introduction. Throughout the five months of COVID, you have probably thought about your death more than the five years previous. I don't know about you, but like, I thought about redoing my will. I haven't done it yet, but redoing my will. If you don't have a will, you probably should get one done. If COVID doesn't motivate you to get a will done, now's the time. Um, but like you've probably thought about your death more in the last five months than probably the previous five years. And can I submit to us, this is a really good thing. The Bible says this in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We just got done with the words to the wise. And what have we been seeing? That God is teaching us to number our days, that we're not gonna live forever, that we're not uh, immortal, so to speak, Right? We are going to die unless Jesus returns. And so teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom, that we may take advantage of this day. Because in Ephesians 5, it goes on to tell us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil, passing away, perishing, and we must make good use of the time. We're in the end. And yet this is a great time that God has been instructing us, I pray, teaching us to number our days. So, you know, I think that we have this um, thought that we're going to 
be able to manage our death, right? You've heard of this question like, hey, are you ready to die? Are you ready to meet Jesus today? If you died in a car accident, and of course, it's a good, it's a good starter. Matter of fact, it's one that I've used while we were out. I had a great opportunity to, to minister to an orphan that I met and just had to be able to just ask those types of questions. And, and she's not ready for her own death. But you know, she's young. You know, all of us are young, and we don't think about our deaths. We actually don't think that the coronavirus is going to touch us, and if it does, it'll be a minor cough, and we'll move on. No, we think we can manage our deaths. See, every commercial on TV tells you that you, you can just manage your symptoms of death by taking this pill, by doing this diet or this exercise, go to see this doctor, um, you know, put this into your schedule, and you manage your death by doing so. Hey, look, if you're sick, go listen to the doctor. If you've got cancer, go seek appropriate treatment. This is the way or one of the ways that God heals people in this age. But friends, we cannot manage our death. And if we cannot manage our death, though we think we may be able to, how much more can we not manage the Messiah, his coming? You see, a good question is, are you ready to die? And as we enter into today's topic, the better question is, are you ready for his return. Are you ready for his return? Because it could happen today. It could happen today. You see, this, this lion, Aslan, is on the loose. He is uncaged, he is unrestrained, and he can do whatever he wants in Narnia, for he created this place. And he can come back right now. So I finish our long introduction by asking this question before we read scripture together. If Jesus were to return tonight, how would you spend today? And now let's read God's word together as we visit that question that Jesus will answer. Good morning, church. My name is Chad Ben, and this is my wife, Alicia. And today we will be reading out of the Gospel of Matthew Chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know 
and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today to give you praise and thanks for all your wonderful love and all the joy that you have put in our hearts. Heavenly Father, I'd like to say thank you for Lance. Please bless him with your wisdom. And please let your words flow through him and into our hearts and let our hearts receive them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Did you catch it? Did you catch the, the need for us to be awake, to be ready? You see, Jesus, the author of life, the one who is love, at the end of this, says some pretty uh, dire and hard things because he does love us. Now, we're going to get into that, and actually, this week and next week, we'll talk a lot about that. Actually, the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a lot about that. But before we get there, what are some things that we can take away from Jesus' words as he now, in, in his life, he was headed to the cross. This is Matthew 24, right before he gets arrested. This is near the end of his teaching. Some of the, the most important things that he could convey to his disciples were to be ready, ready for Jesus' imminent return. And so when I say imminent, I mean it could happen at any moment. Jesus' return is absolutely imminent. It could happen at any moment. He says this right there at the beginning, right? Jesus' description of his own uh, arrival upon the earth, his second arrival upon the earth. He says, just as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what were happening in the days of Noah? We usually think about like the evil that was unleashed upon the earth, and that's part of it. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is things were going on as normal. Things were just, you know, there was, a, there was a woman out in the field and there was, or at the, at the mill and she was kind of making dinner and there was a man out in the field and they were out working and, 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 and trying to just, you know, make a living. Marriage was going on. It's just a normal everyday life until one day it started raining and only one family knew or was prepared enough for that day when it started raining. One of the things I love about the scriptures is that um, in Hebrews, uh, this isn't out in my notes, but Hebrews chapter 11, um, it says this about the days of Noah. It says this actually about Noah. I want you to think about this and appropriate this to what we're reading now, that, that just in the days of Noah will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what happened in the days of Noah? Hebrews 11, verse 7. You see, by faith, Noah, being warned by God, concerning events as yet unseen. That's just like today. He is warning us, Jesus in Matthew 24, is warning us of things yet to come. In reverent fear, in reverent fear did Noah construct the ark. Why? For the saving of his household. Y'all, that's the life that we're in right now. And in reverent fear, what kind of response are we having? That Jesus is saying that, that I am coming and I will come and it will be sudden and it will be, it could come at any moment just like in the days of Noah. You see, the activities of the people are the same. These, there's, a, there's a man, there's two, two men out in the field, one's taken, one is left. There's two women at the mill, one is taken and one is left. You see, the activities are the same. There's only one place, though, of salvation and that is in the ark. 
for Noah. It was an actual ark for us. It is in the true and better ark, which is Jesus himself. And so he's saying, take notice in reverent fear. Will we prepare our lives? Will we have a life of preparation for his sudden coming? For Noah and his family, they were prepared. They were warned by God. Friends, you are being warned by God. You have been warned by God that his coming could come at any moment. Noah didn't start building the day that it started raining. Instead, it was a lifestyle of preparedness. Many people believe that it took anywhere between like 30 years and 120 years for Noah to actually build the ark. That's a lifestyle of preparedness. He understood danger to be coming, and his safety was in the completion of that ark. How much more for us today to realize that the coming of the Son of Man is imminent and our only salvation are in the words and ways of Jesus, the true and better ark. He is coming. Are you ready? He could come today. Come tonight. What will we do to prepare? I want you to note the language that Jesus talks about. He says, therefore, stay awake. Throughout the Old Testament and new, the idea here is to be alert, like one would be ready, he says, for a thief to come in the middle of the night. Um, we went to Florida this last couple of weeks, and it was great, although there was like one day where I got several notifications of somebody coming to my front door. And so the camera would capture it, and it would notify me, and I would go, what's up? Why is this person casing my house? I immediately went to the bad place and assumed they were casing my house to break into it because they realized there was no activity for a few days. So I called uh, the Steins, I called Noah, and I said, um, hey man, I need you to come and check on my house just to make sure everything is good. He checked on it. We were good to go, right? He changed a couple things just to kind of you know, create the illusion that someone was home. Uh, I was not, but nonetheless, I was understanding by camera that my house could have been, probably wasn't, I'm in paranoia mode maybe, uh, that my house could have been at least being cased for a thief, and I wanted to be ready. So you and I, we probably have a security system um, of some sort, maybe it's a dog. Um, we have probably maybe a camera or two. They're pretty cheap. You can get them online these days. But, we, but, but like that's, that's what you know, God is telling us for our souls to truly be like, to be kind of on alert so that if we see something coming, we would be ready for it. And Jesus is saying his coming is coming like a thief. If you knew a thief was coming, at what hour of the night you would be ready for it, right? You'd just like hide up in the bushes and be ready. But Jesus is saying, like, I'm coming like that. And so how much more for our homes should our hearts be on alert? We need a, a security system to tell us that there's a threat coming in on us. We need that, I could just equate that to community of God. We need people around us to tell us, hey, there's a threat on your soul right here. You might want to be aware of that. Or it's nothing, but just maybe you might want to consider it. We need cameras that are on all the time. And may I suggest that be the Spirit of God just kind of looking into our hearts consistently to convict us of things that are threats to our souls. Will we heed to that? Will we understand that? Will we, will we kind of dial in when we go, hey, that might be a threat. I'm not really sure. That person's come around two or three times. You might want to be aware of that. See, the Spirit and the community of God work hand in hand that we might be alert, not just to any dangers that come upon our soul, but to the coming of the Son of Man. You see, he says that we must stay awake, but he also says this in verse 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day, check this, 
your Lord is coming. It's not a matter of if he's coming. You don't know when he's coming. And guess who he is? He is your Lord. This word here is, is just another word for master. And we are the servant. We, we, don't, we don't get to switch that role where we become the master and he is our servant. That makes God and Jesus a butler. Instead, we are his servant. What he says goes, whatever, whenever, wherever. He is our master, whether we like it or not, whether we agree to that or not. He is our master. He is coming soon. Not only is he coming soon, and this is going to kind of sound contradictory, right? That first point is like he is coming soon. It is, he, Jesus' return is imminent. Also, Jesus' return is delayed. We've been saying Jesus' return is imminent for 2,000 years just about. So like what is the deal? What do we do with this delayed return of Jesus? Because it's going to get in there, right, in the last part of this passage, it says that the wicked servant, when his master was delayed, and then surely we can look back at 2,000 years of history and go, man, I know that you're saying that he could come at any moment, but it also appears that he's not in any hurry. Well, I would agree with you. I think the Bible would agree with us, but let me just put a couple of verses before us to help us understand why there is delay. Number one, God doesn't count like us. In 2 Peter 3, 8, it says this, do not overlook this one fact. Oh, it would almost seem like he's predicting this little uh, conundrum that we may have. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day, aka the way we count is not the way that God counts. Let's keep going, though, to understand why there's a delay. That's just him saying, hey, you can count all you want. I'm not on that system. But secondly, why is the Lord kind of doing this or maybe a little bit slow to anger? The next verse tells us, don't, don't overlook the fact, but the Lord is not slow. Hey, y'all, he's not delayed. It just feels like it. He is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Mm. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You want to know why it feels like he's delayed? You want to know why it feels like he's slow? Because some of us won't repent. He's waiting for us in patience, in great patience, for his people, his elect, to come into the household of God. That's one reason. The other reason is, is those that are in his household of God, he says this in Matthew 24, 14, which many people will say this is the most important verse for Christians to understand in the New Testament, for Christians, not lost people. And he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. See, the reason why he's not come yet is because the great commission has not been fulfilled. The gospel has not gone to all the nations as we know them today. And there can be some controversy on all that. Would that mean that all the nations when Jesus was here? Does that mean all the nations that are currently here? Does that mean all the nations that will be here when he's coming? I, I don't know. All I know is it hasn't been done yet. You know how I know it hasn't been done yet? Because Jesus isn't here. If, he, if we had completed the task, he'd have come back. We haven't completed the task because he's not here. And so Christians, like if you're a non-Christian, and, and here's, I want to get to this in a minute. If you're a non-Christian, the Lord wants you to repent. The Lord wants you, to, and that's a, that's a gift, for you to realize that you're maybe not as good as you had hoped, 
and you don't have to hide that from anybody, and Jesus knows that. He knows the, the motives of your heart. He knows the things that you're struggling with. He knows all the secret things that you've hidden away, packed away, and hoped no one would ever find. He sees those. He's seen those from the get-go. And he's inviting you to repent and trust in the gospel that he doesn't want you to think that you're good enough. Instead, he wants you to admit and realize you can never be good enough, but that he is good enough and he wants to give your, his goodness to you. That's the beauty of the gospel. For, for non-Christians, we must admit that at some point. If we're Christians and we have admitted that, then the call is a little bit different. The call now is to bring that good news to your neighbor. You want Jesus to come back? Go share your faith. And if you refuse to do that, friend, repent. It's a command from God. We must be the wise servant, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Like, yes, his, his, his return is imminent, but also his return is a bit delayed. So if God is waiting for his people to come to faith, and God wants us to share the gospel to the nations before he comes, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? This is a clear demonstration of God's patience, and yet he will be patient with us, but at some point, he won't be. At some point, he'll come back when it's time and it's fixed, and his authority will be made known in its fullness. I just wonder, what is holding us back from being obedient to the God who's made these things so clear to us? We want to know God's will, but will we do it when we know it? That's another question altogether. You see, this is not just important, like not just urgent. I would say the utmost important and the utmost urgency. Put this at the top of your calendar to understand these things because when Jesus comes back, he immediately splits people. Sheep and goats we'll talk about next week. This week, it's wise and wicked. He immediately splits people into the wise and to the wicked Right, And so let's just understand, we are one or the other. There's no gray. There's no one or the, there's no uh, uh, like on the way to one when Jesus comes back. When he comes back, that's it. Wise or wicked. You see, the wicked servant, it says in uh, Matthew 24, I'll just read it a little bit. Um, verse uh, 48. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, what will the master of that servant do? Well, the master of that servant, that would be Jesus, to anyone who does these things, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And what will happen? Friends, listen. He will cut him into pieces. He'll cut him off. And he will put him with the hypocrites. The rest of the people that say one thing and do another, he's going to put him with them. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a clear picture of hell, which we're going to talk about through this eternity series. Look, the wicked servant becomes frustrated by his master's delay, and he pursues three things, violence, self-indulgence, and bad company. This reminds us, though, of the third seed of Jesus' parable, of the parable of the sower, right? The third seed gets, gets cast among thorns, and though it grows for a little while, the Bible says that the deceitfulness of riches choke the word out, and it proves unfruitful. They look good for a while, but they prove unfruitful because they do not persevere in the faith. The deceitfulness of this world captures them and chokes out the word of God. This is sobering. You see, not everyone in the household of Jesus belongs to Jesus. Not everyone in your neighborhood group. 
Not everyone in your growth group is actually a Christian. This is a, this is a clear demonstration uh, throughout God's word. And I can tell you right now, this is what eats me up at night. What eats me up at night is to know that someone at the grove, a partner, a guest, a leader, a deacon, an elder, a neighborhood group leader, a growth group leader, you go to Depelchin, you care about all the things, but you don't know Jesus? Man, that eats me up at night wondering, because Jesus makes it clear that it will happen, who those people are. And, and, and I just want to say, like, if that's you, um, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you to not pretend? Because God knows your heart. God knows what's going on. And can I also plead with you to know this? Like, though I wonder many days if we have those people amongst us, there are many days where, like, light testifies to light. And so for, for, for some of you that are kind of just going through the motions or going to church because you think it's the cultural thing to do or because your neighbor brought you in or your family member brought you in, and so this is kind of now the new rhythm of your life, but you have no relationship with Jesus I just want to gently say, we see you. Many times light testifies to light, and we can see who you are, and we, we can know you're faking it. And so there's, there's no reason to fake it. And if, and if you can get over on us, you're not getting over on Jesus. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows the hearts that he's regenerated. He knows the ones that, that belong to him and who, who doesn't. And so I would hate for us to exhaust our lives, exhaust the rest of our lives, however long we may have, maybe an hour, however long we may have, trying to fake it, trying to prove ourselves to God, trying to prove ourselves to ourselves or to one another. Man, that's vanity, meaningless, a chasing after the wind, Ecclesiastes would say, if we know not Jesus personally. See, this is a dire warning for all of us, this behavior of the wicked servant. Why is it a, a dire warning and a timely warning? Scroll down and you'll see. Go and, and, and just, just observe a little bit about our culture these days. We are at war with one another over the pettiest little things within the household of God. Do you notice there's a wicked and a wise servant within the master's home? They're in God's household and now they're just starting to be violent. The wicked servant just serves violence to the other. There's a beating that goes on there, and perhaps we're not smashing each other's face in. No, we just do it on Facebook or in our hearts. We unfollow people because they disagree with us, or we simply just get behind our keyboard and become a warrior with words. Friends, this is not the way of the wise servant, but the wicked. And if we're not violent, then surely self-indulgent, because the wicked servant goes on not just to beat his fellow servants, but he goes on to just, man, you know what, like, it's time to drink. It's time to party. The master hadn't come for a while. I don't know if he's ever going to come. He may have died off in a war. I don't know. But I do know there's a strong drink right there, and it's time. Right? That's what this is getting to, right? That we become self-indulgent, even, maybe it's not with wine. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not with drugs. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not with, uh, uh, like, medication. Maybe it is. But maybe we, we just become self-indulgent in our own goodness, Maybe we become so uh, enraptured with our own behavior and our own partial obedience that we start to redefine standards that Jesus is clear to define um, by ourselves. We become self-righteous. And so we kind of start to think that, well, that little sin, you know, it's just a little sin. It's just a little lust, a little adultery. Jesus forgives me. 
It's a little drunkenness. It's fine. Everybody gets a little drunk sometimes. And we start to convince ourselves that it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. May we be reminded, though, of the yeast which works its way through the whole batch of dough to contaminate the entire loaf. Just a little sin, just a little here, just a little unrepentance and a little unforgiveness, we're fine. And we self-indulge in these things. And if it's not self-indulgence, if it's not violence, we take comfort with the drunkards, the bad company that are around us. And friends, these are the people that are, that are, that are in your life that are telling you this lie, this lie. Um, look, take enough of Jesus. This is the lie. Take enough of Jesus to keep you out of hell. But as soon as it starts threatening our relationship, I don't want really anything to do with you. Take a little bit of Jesus, just enough to keep you out of hell, and leave this serious life dedicated to Jesus. Leave that to the weirdos. Leave that to the zealots. I mean, those are what pastors, that's what a pastor is made of. Can I just tell you all, friends? This is just normal living. Like, I, I love when people try to d- distinguish between pastors and Christians. It's just normal living. We're living out our gifts in a way that's faithful to God, hoping and praying that you will do the same. That we wouldn't give into the lie of our neighbors or our friends, the wicked servant, those are the other drunkards out there. They're just convincing us, man, like, leave that kind of full on dedication to the weirdos and to the zealots. I don't want anything to do with you, really, if you dedicate yourself that much. See, that's the wickedness that is upon us of uh, verbal violence, of self indulgence with our own goodness and bad company that comes along with it. And Jesus is clear. Our behavior certainly um, displays our identity. What we do displays what has happened in our heart. You see, if our heart has been transformed by the power of the gospel, we want nothing to do with violence against our brethren because we, we, we've, we've read the Bible and we, hear, we heed the warnings of Miriam. Do you remember Miriam in the Old Testament? We heed the warnings of Miriam who grumbled against her brother Moses. And what did God do? Gave her leprosy because of words. She didn't like thump him on the ear or on the nose or tell him to wake up or any of that. She grumbled. She used her words and waged a war against God's servant, and God gave her leprosy for a time. See, we need to understand that the, the, the wise, those that have had their, the, the, their lives changed by the power of the gospel, read God's word and understand these warnings are in here for our own good, not to scare us away, but to draw us even closer. So then, if that's how not to live with the wicked servant, how must then we live? Look at the wise servant. I want, I want us just to see this beautiful simplicity before we end. And yeah, we're going to end. Because you know what? Last night, I cut this sermon in half. So we're going to do part two next week. You're welcome. Anyways, who then is the faithful and wise servant in verse 45? Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. That's it. That's the wise servant. That's all we got to do is to give them their food. That is the rest of the servants. That is the rest of the household. The wise and faithful servant gives them their food at the proper time. How simple is that? He knew, this wise servant knew that his, what his master expected of him, and he did it. That's wisdom, y'all. 
That's Christian biblical wisdom that Jesus said will ready for his return. What God wants and do it. You want to know why we structure our growth groups around obedience? Because of passage like this. It's not about just knowledge. It's about doing what God says. It's not just about knowing what, like, that everybody gets hungry every once in a while. It's preparing the meal. It's making sure there's a good plan to distribute that meal to whomever else is in the household. Are you doing that? Are you seeing the needs of the brethren and the sistren and being able to, to meet those needs at an appropriate time? You see, Christianity is not just about feeling and thinking the right things. It's about doing that, but it's also about doing what God wants us to do. Are you devoted to these kinds of words? Are you devoted to Jesus' words? Or have you been caught up in lesser things? Are you faithful to what the Spirit says? Or do you convince yourself that those words are too hard or too inconvenient? Especially for right now. I mean, I got kids. Especially for right now, I got to work. See, do we delay our obedience and therefore become disobedient? Because I want you to see it. Look at what it says, 45, to give them their food at the proper time. There is a time for obedience, and it's now. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible would say. It's now. So are we delaying obedience with our finance because we're in debt? This is, what I, this is kind of what usually happens, right? We don't really give to the Lord, wherever that may be, hopefully the Grove, if you're a partner of the Grove. We don't really give to the Lord because I'm in debt. We don't really give to the Grove because I got these other obligations, Oh, okay, well, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that we are called to live generous, faithful lives, sacrificial lives with our, with our finances, right? We give the first fruit. We give what's first, and then everything else comes after that. Do we delay our, our, our obedience with finances due to debt? Are we delaying our service to the orphan, to the widow, to the marginalized, to the poor amongst us because we have kids, or we have other obligations? Are we delaying our worship because we're infatuated with ourselves? Are you all glad I went away? Isn't this fun? Do you hear the plan of your master and plan? What is standing in the way of you being a wise servant? Because here's the beautiful part. A sure and steady promise stands ready for all you who are wise. Verse 46 Blessed is the servant. That's you if you're doing the will of God. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, number one, he calls you blessed. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. One day in eternity, God's going to hand us the keys to the kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. And those that are wise are going to be stewards of the new creation. That will happen. We'll talk about that later. That's going to be fun. I don't know what that means, but it's a promise. And it seems like Jesus is excited about it, so I want to be excited about it. But look, here's the deal, right? This is good news for us. For us. It is a trustworthy promise for those who are currently sacrificing. So I just want to say this. I see you, Kara Zercher. I see you ministering to, to, to Mercy Goods. I see you, Jenny Ames. I see you going to attack poverty. I see you going to Depelchen and ministering to the widow and the poor amongst us. I see you, Evans, going and, and being able to minister to those who are refugees in another part of town, much less another part of the world. I see you, Greta. I see you, Reese. I see you, Ellie, who have had bake sales during Corona time and given their proceeds to Depelchen. I see you, and more importantly, 
the Lord sees you and calls you blessed and says, if you'll do that with that, I'll give you everything I got. I don't know about you, but that choice is clear. Do I want to be wicked and violent and self-indulgent and hang out with the drunkards who are stupid and lazy? Uh-oh, I just offended my, my own children. Or do I want to worship the Lord with everything I got? Heart, hands, feet, head. I want to worship him with everything I got. It's a conversation I had with our middle child this week, Melissa, too. With everything that you do, whether you eat or drink or with everything you do, with anything that you do, it all for the glory of God. Not for your own glory, not for your own standards, not when you want to and not when you feel like it. For his glory, the way he wants you to do, with excellence and dedication to him. That's the wise servant before us. The good news is this, y'all. In this passage, God makes it clear. You want to be wicked? You want to be wise. And he doesn't complicate wisdom. It doesn't complicate those that actually belong to his household. He just simply says, do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. And you will show yourselves to be a part of my household. And when I come, I'm going to put you over everything I got. What a beautiful reminder of God's goodness. And if we are unsure, you need to know this, friend. Jesus came not just to speak words that, that like, cause... Uh, like tribulation in our own heart. He came to give you these words to warn you of the certainty to come. And he came to die a death that you never would. Not only could you not die this death, you would not die this death. So that you would have the freedom to die to your own preferences, die to your own timelines, die to your own desires, and instead have God's desires, timelines, and preferences come and take root in your heart, give you a new life, so that you may live and reign with him forever. One thing's required, that you repent and believe this good news. Believe in the good news that Jesus has come, that his life, death, resurrection, and ascension was for you. He didn't do it as some act of history just to kind of insert himself into our troublesome world. He came, leaving heaven, coming for a certain death so that you may live. Will you trust in these things today? If you're a non-Christian, I'm inviting you to interact with us online. I'm inviting you to say, I need help understanding this. I'm inviting you to just email or text us or whatever, whatever you need to do to make sure that you're ready. We want to help. And for the Christian that's having trouble with this, can I continue to just remind you that there are people around you that you know and love that will help you get your mind around what it looks like for you to be wise during these times? Would you come and be ready? Would you come and be wise and lay down the wicked ways? It's black and white. And so I'm pleading with you, the Lord is being patient with you and he's calling all of us to himself. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you've given us your word. We're grateful that you have uh, made this uh, word sure. And we're grateful that we know that it will cause a steadiness in our hearts. Lord, as we continue to worship and respond, um, would you help us? Would you help us not just like hear these things and recoil, because I think that's a natural inclination, but would you help us understand that, man, this is your invitation to come close, to trust, to obey in deeper and new ways. So Holy Spirit, um, you lead and we'll follow in Jesus' name, amen.